0: Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.
1: Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Amanda Bell with At Home Realty in Ashland City, Tennessee. Last year, she closed 323 transactions with a total sales volume of 46 million. Her average sales price was 141,000, of which 40% were buyers and 60% were sellers. She has a three member team, one office manager, one closing coordinator, and one team leader. Amanda Bell is the team leader of the Amanda Bell team. She's been an agent for 13 years works the Middle Tennessee market, and may be the most productive solo agent in America, closing 323 homes per licensed salesperson and 107 homes per team member. In this call, Amanda talks about getting a slow start and only selling three homes her first year, learning our craft and selling 30 homes her second year while working another full-time job, succeeding in a small rural market in a town of 4,000 people, How she sold 323 homes with two administrative assistants. Why she handles all the buyers and sellers personally. The difference between being an advisor and a salesperson. Why she works a 100 hour week and why she wouldn't do it any other way. How she closes over 120 transactions by repeated referrals from her small list of 700 past clients and sphere of influence. Basically, one in six people. Sent her a referral that closed. Her simple yet humorous monthly postcard campaign. Why she does not use a CRM and what she does instead. How she gets 30% of her business from internet leads with preferred memberships at Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, and Homes.com. How she's currently carrying 90 listings. Her key qualifying questions for buyers and sellers. Team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Amanda.
0: Hello. Thank you.
1: Hey, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. Before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate.
0: I actually worked for an interior design company in Nashville.
1: How long were you there? Five years. What made you transition from that into real estate?
0: Well, the person that I was married to at the time, um, we had just built our first house and he was in the construction business. So we decided that we were going to, um, I was going to get my real estate license and he was going to get his contractor's license and then we were going to build and sell spec homes.
1: And did that happen?
0: Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I got my real estate license in April of 2003 and we divorced in August of 2003. Oh, wow.
1: Okay. Well, it did open up the door for real estate. How did that first year go? Do you think you had a fast start or a slow start?
0: Well, I I had a slow start. I only had three transactions the first year. Um, When I got my real estate license, I never had any intention of being a full-time realtor or owning my own company. Um, I was just going to build and sell spec homes, you know, what we did. So when I first got into it, I thought, okay, well, it cost me a couple thousand dollars. Let's do, you know, one or two transactions to try to offset what um, I have invested. So um, I, I only did three transactions the first year. Part of it was just because it wasn't really my intent to be a full-time agent, but then also when I was going through a divorce and then my father was really ill and, and dying at the same time. So I just felt like that I was at a point in my life where I really couldn't make decisions for myself and I didn't need to be making decisions for other people. So other than the three transactions that I did, I really didn't do anything else that first year.
1: How about the second year? Did things pick up that second year?
0: Yes, the second year um, I had $1.6 in net sales. And at that point, um, you know, come January January 1, it was kind of like, okay, the realization is here. You're now divorced. You need money to pay the bills, and you've got to do what you've got to do. So I was doing real estate full-time and working a full-time job as well.
1: Do you remember how many homes that was? I'm, I'm guessing about, what, 15 sales that, that second year?
0: Um, actually, the second year, it was like 30 um, because of the rural area that we live in and that we work in, Um, we do a lot of manufactured homes. So the sales price per, you know, transaction is not always that great. So it takes us a little longer to get to our goals.
1: The second year you sold 30 properties, you were working full-time in real estate and working a job full-time. How did you manage that? You know, there's some people listening that are trying to do the same thing. How did you end up selling 30 homes while you were working another job full-time?
0: Well, what I would do is um, I left my main job um, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I would come straight into the real estate office and I would work, you know, two or three hours there. Um, and then of course I would work nights and weekends and holidays. You know, when everybody else was off work, I was sitting at the real estate office just waiting for the phone to ring or waiting for somebody to walk in the door. And that's how I built my business.
1: How long did you continue with the full-time job before you went into real estate with no other other job? You, you real estate was your full-time job.
0: It was about 2 years after that. Um the owner of the company that I worked for at that time, um she said that um she saw the talent that I had for real estate and that she knew that that's where my heart, you know, really was. So she ended up cutting my hours to four hours a day, and at that time it was a 16-mile round trip for going back and forth to work, and it just wasn't worth it for four hours. So I pretty much was thrown into it um, and just kind of had to make it work at that point.
1: Wow, that is really interesting. So I was going to ask, how did you cut the cord? How did you make the transition? And it sounds like your boss at your your non-real estate job helped you make that decision by cutting your hours.
0: Yeah, I really didn't have a decision. It's feast or famine, you know. Uh, being a um, one-income family of, of one person, you just kind of have to do what you have to do to make it work.
1: Have you ever gone back and thanked that that person, that employer, for for giving you that boost?
0: No, no, I don't want her to think she won.
1: it it wasn't amicable okay i I thought maybe she was helping you it sounds like it was a a little confrontational but whatever it was it got you into real estate full-time let's do this let's fast forward a little bit and let's go into today how long have you been in real estate
0: 14 years come april
1: 23rd how many homes did you sell last year and what was the sales volume
0: Three hundred and nine homes, and I believe that was 36 million in gross sales.
1: Do you recall what the the GCI was on that? About nine
0: hundred and forty five
1: thousand. Wow, that is fantastic. Congratulations.: Thank you. That was last year, and we're almost to the end of this year, 2016. Do you know what your year-to-date numbers are for this year?
0: Yes, I uh, believe it's 323 transactions, 46 million. Um, and that includes, you know, all of my properties, traditional short sales, foreclosures, et cetera. And right now, as far as income goes, I'm um, right at 1.13.
1: Wow. Wow. You just got over a million. That's that's fantastic. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I want to bring up something real quick. You you mentioned that you do some REO and short sale, but that's actually a pretty small percentage of your business. What's that, about
0: 20%? Yes. hmm. Sometimes it's more. Obviously, it depends on what the market is doing, but I've always felt like your traditional is your bread and butter, so you have to keep that going because you never know what's going to happen with the foreclosure market.
1: We were talking uh, earlier. We sent some information back and forth to prepare for the interview, and you made a comment. You said, "I'm not a salesperson. I'm an advisor." Could you elaborate on that a little bit?
0: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people out there that that are just a salesperson. You know, they go in, they sell you a home. You know, that's not me. You know, I have a house, so whether you like a house or not does not matter to me. My job is to go into a home, present the attributes that the house has that are what you're looking for, but to also show you the flaws and the negativity and the challenges that you might have for a house. I mean, obviously, if you have four children and you're looking at a three-bedroom home, then we need to take into consideration the size of the bedroom. If the bedroom is too small, then you're not going to be able to fit bunk beds. And to get you to think through the process, because you have time before you make an offer on the house to really analyze whether or not it's going to fit your needs. But once you're under contract, you know, if you decide the third bedroom's not large enough, that's not a reason to try to make the contract. But
1: well, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I, I think our listeners will want to know one other thing as we're walking through this interview. My understanding is that, that you sold you know, 300-plus homes last year, 300-plus homes this year, and you're the only salesperson on the team there. You don't have any buyer agents or listing agents running around. Is that true?
0: Correct. Um, There is one county that I will co-list some of my foreclosures with, um, one of my other agents. But other than that, I handle the buyers and the sellers.
1: Wow. That's pretty extraordinary. That's pretty extraordinary because another thing that you mentioned was that I think the comment that you had was, the fact is, when you hire me, you get me. And that that when people call into your office, they're going to talk to you. They're not going to be talking to a machine.
0: Correct. Or you've called these offices before, and it's like, press one if your house is listed. Press two if you're a buyer. Press three if your house is listed and under contract. You know, that drives me crazy as an agent because if I call another agent, I want to be able to get them directly. I don't want to have to go through this phone call tree of getting who I'm supposed to talk to. And then, oh, well, Lisa handles that and Lisa's not here today. Talk to Tina. No, Tina's not handling that file. Um, you know, when you hire me, you get me.
1: I got to assume that means that you work a lot of hours. How many hours are you working in a week?
0: I usually work anywhere from 15 to 16 hours, Monday through Friday. I'll probably put in at least 10 to 12 on Saturday and Sunday.
1: Wow. I I can't even add that up. That's a lot of hours.
0: Yes, it is. But, you know, the market is good right now and that's what the demands are. You know, I, I have to provide the same level of service to my clients. Um, to continue the loyalty that I have from them. So it's important, you know, and if it means I have to sacrifice a little bit of sleep and that's what I do.
1: I'm just trying to do that in my head. And I, I think I'm coming out somewhere around hundred hours a week. Does that sound correct?
0: That sounds about right. All right,
1: let's do this. Let's, let's help everybody out and make sure they know where you're at. Where is Ashland, Tennessee?
0: Ashland City is about 20 minutes west of Nashville. We're in between Nashville and Clarksville, which is one of the large military bases.
1: Are you a suburb of Nashville, or are you kind of your own independent area?
0: We're our own independent area.
1: If I understand correctly, you might be near some water, a river, a lake, maybe some mountains.
0: We have two rivers down here. We have the Harpeth River and the Cumberland River.
1: Did you say earlier this is a a rural area?
0: Yes, it is. Our total population for our whole county is only about 30,000. Ashland City itself is only about 4,000.
1: That's a a pretty small community. You must have a pretty large market share in the community by selling 300 homes.
0: Well, I do, but I also go outside of this area. I cover about an hour and a half um, radius of my office, which pretty much covers all of Middle Tennessee.
1: Could you tell us more about your market?
0: Um, Our prices are going upwards, mainly because Nashville is turned into like a little New York City, a little mini Las Vegas. um, Prices have skyrocketed in Nashville. So a lot of the investors are going in to the less desirable areas, offering a large amount of money for these people to move and turning around and building $400,000 houses. So, People now have cash money in their pocket, and then they're coming this direction because we are one of our advertisements for this area is the best kept secret in Middle Tennessee because we don't have a lot of traffic down here. So, a lot of people in, are taking their money because it's affordable and moving this direction, which, of course, is pushing our prices up as well.
1: What's your average price there?
0: Our average price is actually going up. Um, probably two years ago, you were probably looking at about 150. Right now, you're probably looking at about 200.
1: Which part of that market do you tend to work? Are you working in the entry level, the middle, or the luxury in?
0: I work all of it. Um, we have a lot of manufactured homes and single wide trailers um, down here as well. So those buyers are going to turn into $100,000 buyers, and then those turn into 200. So I feel like that you have to have buyers across the board because eventually those are going to be your larger buyers and they've already established loyalty um, in relations with other agents if you don't service them when times are tough. So I cover everything from you know a $20,000 single-wide trailer to a half-a-million-dollar home.
1: Amanda, have you ever taken the, the DISC personality test, the DISC?
0: No, I haven't.
1: I have a feeling that you're, you're a a D, D, a real strong D, and I was just curious if that was true or not. Someday you'll have to take that test and let us know. I will do. Let's do this. Let's talk about your market a little more. Do you have a niche or a specialization?
0: Well, I mean, obviously residential sales is what I prefer. Um, I started out doing a lot of property management as well, but as my real estate transactions went up, um, I've had to let some of that go, and one of my other agents here at the office handles the property management. So I have a good knowledge of that as well. Um, we still have a lot of good tracts of land here, so you have to have a knowledge of land. The thing about being in a smaller town, though, is we don't really have, like, a commercial brokerage, a land brokerage. We all kind of do a little bit of everything. So right now I have some commercial properties. I have some businesses that um, we have for sale, residential, land, multifamily, so we do a little bit of everything.
1: Let's talk about how you're generating your business. My understanding is about 40% of your business is coming in from past clients, sphere of influence, repeat and referrals. Let's jump in and talk about that for a second. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? The
0: database itself has over 700. What I do is every time I have a transaction that closes that is a non-REO transaction, I'll add them to the database. And then of course we keep in contact with them by monthly mail out, Christmas cards, birthday cards, home anniversary cards, wedding anniversary cards. Um, We keep in touch with them quite a bit. So right now it's over 700.
1: You said a non-REO. So when you sell an REO property, are you adapting or adopting the buyer from the other side?
0: No, I don't do that um, because I kind of feel like that you're going after somebody else's client. Now, if there's no other agent involved and I have both sides of it, then absolutely. But other than that, I feel like that's a fine line. I wouldn't want another agent contacting my client, so I don't you know, contact somebody else's. The
1: 700 that you mentioned, Would you be able to break out for us approximately how many of those are past clients and how many are sphere of influence?
0: The majority of it, I'm going to say probably, there's such an overlap between the two of them. I'm going to say that the majority of it, probably 80%, are going to be past clients. Um, I do have other databases that I have created for sphere of influence, Um, but with being in such a small area like i said everything kind of overlaps so the people that are in my closest sphere of influence are also going to be my clients
1: this is really interesting These 700 people if i understand correctly they're generating 40 percent of your business or about 120 closings per year a little better than one in seven that's really impressive We're going to really dig into uh, what you're doing to stay in touch with those folks uh, and make that happen. I just wanted to point that out to everyone. Let's talk a little more about that database. Where are you keeping these people? Are you keeping them inside of a a contact management system?
0: No. Believe it or not, I don't do anything like that. Um, As far as my database for my past clients and things like that, I use Access. We have an internal system that's provided through our Realtors Association for current people that I'm working with that I'm sending emails out to. Um, I don't do drip campaigns or anything like that. Other than that, if somebody calls in and says, hey, I'm calling about this particular property, I have a spreadsheet um, because I found that those are the most easily searchable. Um, that I keep everything on. And so that way, if there's changes with the house or whatever, then I can just search through the Excel spreadsheet and pull out the people that I need and call them from there.
1: So you said you have no software program that you're using to keep these folks. They're all being kept in an Excel spreadsheet?
0: Excel spreadsheet or my past clients are kept on an access database.
1: Oh, an access.
0: Yeah, and then we have an internal system that's provided through our Realtracks that allows us to set up specific searches for current buyers that we're working with.
1: So you have this Excel spreadsheet. What kind of information are you tracking in that spreadsheet? I assume their their name, their phone number, their address. What else are you tracking?
0: Um, The property that they called about. So it kind of gives me an idea of what their interests are visually. And of course, their phone number and then any other special requests that they have.
1: Uh, so you're tracking everyone on that spreadsheet. And then tell us more about what you're doing to stay in front of them. You mentioned you have a, a monthly mailer and you're sending out uh, cards.
0: Yes. Hmm. Yeah, we send out, um, and I didn't start doing that again until about a year ago. And I realized that those are my best clients. Those are my best referrals, people that I've dealt with in the past that were happy with me. And those are going to be the people that refer me the most. And I know that I'm terrible about if someone calls me, whatever information I have in front of me is the person I refer. So if somebody calls about a particular loan and I've got, you know, Joe Smith's card in front of me, then I refer to Joe Smith. So I thought, well, we need to get back to that and getting your faith out there to them every month. And it did increase my referrals again.
1: Is this a postcard? Is this a handwritten note? Is it a holiday card? It's
0: a postcard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a um, standard postcard, but I don't do like the recipes or anything like that. It's usually a funny little cartoon, just something to make them laugh. Um, and then, of course, it just says, you know, if you have any referrals, please let me know.
1: And then you just have your phone number on there for them to call. Do you have any other contact information like your website or email address?
0: Yeah, it'll have my phone number, um, both office and cell, my address, the email address, and the website.
1: And does it have your
0: picture on the card? It does. Everything that I have has my picture on it.
1: And that goes out once a month. Is there anything else that you're doing to stay in front of your people? Are you making phone calls, uh, sending out emails, anything else you're doing to stay in front of your your past clients and your sphere of influence?
0: You know, I wish I had more time, but I just don't have more time. Um, I know that there are teams out there where they have their assistant do that, but how is your assistant going to have that personal relationship with a past client, you know? And it looks so impersonal, you know, oh, hey, Susie told me to call you and just see how you were doing. And, you know, if you have any referrals, please do a call. Well, that makes it look like Susie doesn't care enough to pick up the phone call herself so if I can't make the phone calls myself I'm not going to
1: you're getting these referrals mainly from these postcards Mm Mm-hmm. do you have a a client party or anything like that that you do once a year
0: I did that once Um, I ended up spending a lot more money than what the people showed up and so I just decided I wouldn't do that again
1: Do you have a a smaller group of people that you maybe interact with a little bit more that give uh, maybe the most of your referrals?
0: No. Mm -mm.
1: Wow. So this is basically happening because you do such a great job. You provide the personal service and you send out those postcards. Correct. Is there anything else that you would recommend to an agent who's listening and wants to get more referrals from their past clients and sphere of influence?
0: It really is about getting out there and getting in front of them. So you've got to figure out what the best way is going to be. You know, if the majority of your clients are, let's say, seniors, maybe email is not the best thing. Maybe it's going to the senior center, you know, once a month or playing cards with them or, you know, postcards, you know, you've got to figure out what exactly your clients use in order for communication before I could really tell you exactly which way to go. Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does. And, and you found that these postcards are a great way for you to stay in front of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, because not everybody texts and not everybody emails and not everybody's going to go to your website.
1: But everybody will go check that mailbox.
0: Yes. And
1: you said you don't do anything with email. You don't do a drip campaign. You don't send out a personal email or a newsletter. Correct. Well, let's do this. Let's switch gears. Talk about a different mode or medium that you use to do marketing. And that is internet leads. It's about 30% of your business. What are you doing with internet leads?
0: internet leads, I do Zillow, I do Realtor.com, Homes.com, and Trulia, which Trulia and Zillow are kind of the same thing at this point.
1: When you say you do those, let's break each of those down and talk about what you're doing with each one. For instance, Realtor.com, how are you generating leads out of Realtor.com?
0: Well, on each of the websites, it's pretty much the same for all of them. For each of the websites, I have um, a preferred membership. So obviously I'm pretty much paying for the leads, and then you just have to work the leads as they come through. The one thing that I do like about Zillow that I prefer over the rest of them is that Zillow actually allows me to go in and put my past sales. So every time I close out a file, I go in and I put down like who I represented, when it closed and what the price is. So that if I like say, for instance, somebody on Facebook says, Hey, um, looking for an agent in Ashland City, I can say, hey, I would love to talk to you. In the meantime, check out my numbers and my and my profile on Zillow. And then that way they can see, hey, in the past year, she sold this many properties, this many were sellers, this many were buyers.
1: So Zillow allows you to put that in and everybody can see what your production is and know that you're a great agent. Correct. Is that The only way that you're generating leads off the internet is you're putting yourself out there with this preferred membership. People are seeing your picture and and name pop up next to listings and they're contacting you?
0: Yes, other than like social media like Facebook and Twitter.
1: Let's stay on these mediums first like the Zillow and so forth. When the lead comes into you, is it typically coming into you as a phone call or as an email?
0: Actually, they come via email and text.
1: Email and text is what you're typically seeing. And how are you converting that business? Uh, What's your process?
0: Well, I mean, obviously the goal is to follow up with them quickly. So, you know, try to follow up with them within just the first couple of minutes. And then you get to the point of providing them more documentation or actually scheduling an appointment. And then you just try to develop a relationship at that point.
1: Do you put these folks into any kind of drip email account to to stay in touch with them? No. So you're looking just for people that are gonna take action right now and if they're not taking action in the in the immediate future, you, you're not doing anything with them. Is that true?
0: No. Um a lot of people, I mean, you realize that a lot of people are gonna take about six months to make a decision and that's fine. But I want the loyal clients. I want the serious clients. I want the ones that understand that my time is money, that I have a lot of expertise, and that I want to spend my time with clients who are going to use me and not another realtor. So if it's somebody who's not serious, then they're not going to respond in the same way that somebody would if they want to continue a relationship with you.
1: Do I understand correctly, one of the things you'll do with these internet leads, if they are serious, is you may put them into your MLS and maybe send them out a list of homes? Correct. Okay. So that's how you're doing the quote drip is is you're putting them into a search parameter and they're receiving emails from you from the MLS and, and that's kind of going on automatically and then you're, you're touching base with them as, as they move along through the process. Correct. How often do you make that touch base call?
0: I try to follow up with them maybe once a week, if not every other week.
1: And is it usually by call? You also mentioned text?
0: Yes, depending on who the client is. Some of them obviously like the text better than they liked a bunch of phone calls.
1: Do you keep those preferences in your spreadsheet or do you just have a great memory?
0: Um, I kind of have a good memory because at that point you've already developed a relationship with them, so you kind of know what they like and what they don't like.
1: How many of those internet leads are you currently working with?
0: Probably around thirty.
1: You've really narrowed it down then to the the, the hottest, most serious-looking people that you're working with. You don't you don't have a database of thousands. You have a group of thirty people that you're working with.
0: Well, I have as far as. The internet leads probably 30. I mean, we have a lot of other calls that come in. I mean, I have 90 listings right now. So a lot of my other leads will come in off of those particular properties. So right now I go through about 400 a night, um, looking for properties and stuff like that. Um, and then I have probably have another 600 that are kind of just floating around. Not real serious. I'll send you lead, you know, call me if you see something. Um, but they're not real serious buyers.
1: So let me understand that correctly. It sounds like you have about a thousand buyers that you're now you're, you're looking at, maybe in a in your database that you said there you're, you're reviewing about four hundred of them a night, and six hundred are are not as serious. Is that correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Where are you keeping those people? Are they in the spreadsheet?
0: No, those are going to be in the um, system that's provided by Realtor.
1: That's your MLS system. Correct. Do you know what your conversion rate is with internet leads? Are you tracking how many come in and how many turn into clients?
0: No, I don't track it. I just know that I convert enough to pay for the system and make money so that therefore I'm happy.
1: Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, Real Estate Agent Lead Generation Television. Where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now back to the show. You're very practical, pragmatic, and quick to get to the serious part, which I, I really like and appreciate. You also mentioned that you're, you're doing something with the social media. I think you said Facebook and Twitter. What are you doing with those?
0: Well, we have a couple different accounts on Facebook. One of them is a website Digital real estate for Cheaton County. One is the company, and then one is my own personal. So, you know, I always advertise my particular property, you know, anything that I've got going on with that share it with other agents as well i just think that you need to let people know that you're doing something you know if they don't see any activity then you know they kind of wonder well you know is she still working you know i also do a lot of stuff for the community a lot of charity work um so i it's important to put that on there too because people want to know that hey you know i'm i'm giving you my business but you're giving back to the community so
1: And you said you have three main pages there, your real estate company and personal, and you're making sure that people know that you're in the business. So I assume that means you're you're putting out your listings out there. Are you also putting out, say, your buyers uh, when they close up? What kind of information are you putting out in the newsfeed?
0: No, I don't do that. Um, You know, I don't want to be the one to put somebody else's information out there. You know, if somebody buys a home and they want to put it on there, Then, you know, I'll get on there and say, congratulations, thank you for letting me be a part, and I'll share it from there. But I'm not one of those agents that is going to be like, oh, you know, congratulations, you closed on home. Can we take a selfie? Um, That's just a personal thing that people may or may not want to share. You know, not everybody wants everybody to know all of their business.
1: So the information that you're posting in that newsfeed, are are your listings then? The fact that you have a new listing and and you're promoting it? Yes. For the most part, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. You said you have 90 listings right now. That's a lot. You have a couple people, a couple of staff members that help you with that. And you know we'll talk about that in a minute. But that, that's pretty impressive. You also mentioned you do community and charity work. What are you doing in that arena?
0: I'm the administrator for the Cheatham County Imagination Library Program, which is a nonprofit program that provides books to um, all children from birth to the age of five. It was actually started by Dolly Parton. Um, And Tennessee is actually the only state where the state actually still pays half of the cost and then the counties make up the rest. So I'm an administrator for that. Um, I am on the Cheatham County Community Foundation Board, which raises money for Cheatham County um, students to go to college. We give out scholarships for that every year. And then I'm a member of a couple other organizations. Most of it is geared towards children.
1: Let's talk about the last major piece of of your business, the way I understand it. And that is uh, the REO and short sales. That's about 20% of your business. If we were to break that down, how much of it today is is REO and how much is short sale? Are are you leaning one way or the other?
0: Short sale is very little. Um, It's a necessary evil. Um, It's something that you're doing to help your clients out. I have not found that to be a moneymaker because of the amount of time that it needs to take to get, you know, things done. And you're putting a lot of effort in just hoping it's going to close. So I don't do a lot of short sales. I do as many as my clients need me to do, but it's not something that I go after and that I, you know, try to search people out that need to do a short sale.
1: So that sounds like you're, you're doing some REO work. How many banks are you working with?
0: Probably about 10 um, as far as my major banks. Um, and then you've got probably hmm, four to five that are smaller and send you one every now and then.
1: And you've been doing this business for a little while. You were definitely in the business when we had the last downturn. Was REO a big part of your business at that time? It was 60% at that time. Sixty percent. Okay. And now it's uh, about 20 percent, but you've maintained those contacts and those relationships. Do you have any advice for anybody who would like to build up their REO side of their business?
0: Well, it's really hard to get into. Um, you have to have all your insurance and your E&O and your general liability set up before you can apply for most positions. Um, it is a very tight-knit community. A lot of the asset managers, if you'll start working with them, um, if they move, which they do move a lot throughout the system, they usually take you with them and you know, bring you onto a new company. So there is a lot of loyalty within that. That's why it's so hard to get in because the agents that have been doing it for a long time have the loyalty of the asset managers, and there's just not a lot of turnover.
1: How did you initially establish those relationships?
0: I just kept applying, and I got in with one company um, in Texas in 2006, and I am still with that company.
1: You saw how how you're a hard worker and everything worked out. How did you multiply that, though, from one relationship to to 10 plus?
0: Well, like I said, you know, the asset managers within those companies will move around, so they will take you with them, and there is one lady, her name is Tammy, She started with the original company, and she's since moved about three or four times. So as she moves to a new company, she'll bring me on and then introduce me to other asset managers, and it just kind of grows from there.
1: You mentioned that you have a, a lot of flow of leads coming through. You're just working these leads by yourself, so you need to qualify them quickly what is your process for doing that? Do you have any key questions that you like to ask people when they're going through? Let's talk about buyers first. Are there any key buyer questions you like to ask when you're qualifying them?
0: Well, I mean, I ask them, number one, do you have a job? You know, because if they're they're doing part-time, then they really have no time, you know, because it's not going to qualify for them for anything. You know, do you know what your credit score is? When's the last time you checked your credit report? Have you got on com? Um, You know, those kind of questions. And then I start asking them about debt and how much money they make and things like that. Um, A lot of people right now, they don't know a lot of of answers, but I encourage them to find out those answers before you go any further. If it's a viable candidate, then I'll go ahead and send them over to a loan officer to get pre-approved.
1: It sounds like you kind of do a pre-qualification yourself. You're asking a lot of those financial questions rather than handing them off to a loan officer and having them go through that preliminary process. You're asking where they have a job. I assume you may be asking what their income is and what their their bills are.
0: Correct. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, just trying to find out a lot of the information that they're going to ask because, you know, it's not fair to a loan officer. They get charged every time they run a credit report, so I don't want to waste their money either.
1: In the old days, uh, all real estate agents were trained to do that, and then we started handing off that responsibility to the loan officer. It sounds like you've reclaimed a lot of that, and you're doing that quick qualification up front on their finances to make sure this is viable before you hand it over. Uh, I think that's really neat.
0: Yeah, I think it just makes more sense for your business, too, because then you're waiting for somebody to get pre-approved that is not going to get pre-approved anyway, so...
1: You're doing some quick screening, make sure there's something there or not. You're giving people resources, you said, Credit Karma, where they can build up their credit if they need to, but, but you're basically looking for people who are ready to go right away. Let me ask you, I'm, I'm making that assumption. Are you looking for people that are ready to go in, in a certain time frame, like the next 30 or 60 days? What's your qualification? No, um, what?
0: I don't care if it takes you three years to, to decide on a house as long as you're doing what you need to do to make yourself financially ready to buy help. You know, if your credit score is 400, there's absolutely nothing I can do for you right now.
1: And then do you tell those folks what to do next, or do you just say you need to, to get your credit up and let me know when it is?
0: Well, no, I'll give them some ideas and some examples and maybe some resources to contact in the meantime. And then, of course, it's kind of up to them to implement them.
1: You're also getting a lot of lead flow in on the seller side. You have 90 listings. What type of questions do you like to ask people on that side when you're qualifying them?
0: Well, the main thing is, you know, what's your plan? Where are you going? What are you doing next? Um, Because one thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to get them under contract and then their plan not be able to be implemented. So let's say that your plan is to move to Chicago and you want to buy a $300,000 house then you need to go ahead and contact a loan officer to say, if I sell my house, can I afford a $300,000 house in Chicago? Because once I get your house under contract, that's not an excuse to get out of it. So let's be proactive instead of reactive about it.
1: So you're making sure they have a place to land. You're looking for motivation and ability to complete the other side.
0: Correct. You know, the ability, I look at it as the ability to achieve their goal.
1: Are most of the people that you're helping sell their homes, are they moving up or down in the same market, or are they moving out of the market?
0: Most of them are moving within the same market, but they're moving up. So, you know, it may just be, you know, $10,000 or $20,000 increment, but they're moving up.
1: What percentage of your business do you think is that move-up buyer?
0: Um, I'm going to say probably around 75%.
1: Wow, it's a big piece of your business then. Mm -hmm. You're not targeting that group specifically, that's just what's happening. You're you're just finding those folks, they have a home to sell, they're ready to move into another one, they want to move up, you said sometimes only a $20,000 increment, but for some reason they want to move within the market. Correct. Correct. We've talked about your marketing. Let's go back and talk about your team. You have a small team. You have a few assistants that help you. Could you tell us who the assistants are on your team and what their title is and what they're responsible for?
0: Yeah. So, um, of course, I own the office or own the um, real estate company myself. So my main assistant is the office manager and she handles a lot of the listing paperwork that needs to be done making sure that I have all the documentation that I need. And then she'll field most of my phone calls. And then I have a closing coordinator that handles everything once I get into a contract, scheduling my inspections, making sure that all my closing documents are there. Um, Is the title ordered? Where are we at with the loan? Is the appraisal done? You know, basically contract to close at that point.
1: So you just have the two people helping you out. Mm Mm-hmm. Are they both full-time?
0: Yes, they're both full-time.
1: Are they both licensed?
0: No, I do not hire licensed assistants. The place that I used to work, the main girl, the office manager that answered the phone was a licensed assistant. As one of the realtors there, I didn't like that. I felt like she could cherry-pick the clients that she wanted. So I won't allow my assistants to be licensed.
1: Do you have other agents in your office that are working their own business?
0: Yes, we have 15
1: So you have other agents working their own business, but they don't help you with yours. Correct. That's just amazing that you're doing all that business uh, over 300 transactions a year with yourself and two assistants. That's really incredible. This is just an observation I'm making, and you can tell me if I'm correct or not, but you like to control a situation. Is that true?
0: Yes, I'm very type A.
1: So how did you break down and hire people to help you? How did you get over that, that challenge of wanting to control everything?
0: Well, I think you have to take into consideration your level of service. If your level of service is diminishing, then it's time to do something different. We don't forecast work. We don't forecast the market. We take what we have and we adapt to it, which is why I think I've been so successful.
1: Do you recall, how, how long was it before you hired someone to help you? How far in the business were you?
0: Well, we automatically had an office manager right off the bat. And then we just hired a contract closer probably a year and a half ago. Um, and I've struggled with that because a lot of the people that we've hired have not been able to keep up with the workload.
1: Sure. Well, it's a lot of transactions going on. How did you find these people?
0: Social media. <laughs> you know, in the town that we live in, you really usually end up hiring somebody local. It's a different pay scale. So they don't make as much as they would make if they were in Nashville. But the fact that you've got a proximity to home and if you've got kids, you know, and the schools and stuff like that, it's worth hiring people local. So you've got this
1: closing coordinator who's closing up 300 transactions a year for you. What was their background? Were were they a closer for a title company or a mortgage company? No. Were they already experienced or did you train them from scratch?
0: Trained from scratch. I don't really like people with car experience because I feel like they want to tell me how I should do things and that's not how I want it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and what was their background? What, what kind of person did you find that could fill this, this need of this closing coordinator?
0: Well, I think the main skill that you need is just organizational skills. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's about keeping the realtor organized. So as long as you have the basic organizational skills and computer skills, I think anybody can be trained in contract closing.
1: And how about the the other assistant, the office manager who's helping you with the listing side and taking those phone calls? How long has she been with you? Five years. Five years. Wow, so you were doing all of this on your own for the first, what, eight years?
0: Well, no, no, no. I always had an office manager or an assistant of some kind. It started off with my sister and that didn't work too well, but she worked here for three years. Um, And then I've just, continuously changed assistants until I found one that I like. Aha,
1: uh-huh. and it sounds like you like the one you have. Five years, that's a a—that's a pretty long run. What are her qualities that you like that have fit well in this, this position and this need?
0: Well, I think you have to be able to work with all different types of personalities. Um, you know, behind the doors, we may say, you know, gosh, that person's getting on my nerves and this is what I want to say, and she'll turn around and say, okay, well, you know, this is how I need to do it, and kind of soften the blow. So she handles that very well. Um, she's got a great personality and just makes it easy to talk to her. Now, the other thing is, is that she knows what questions to answer. You know, not just hey, so and so's on the phone. It's hey, they're on the phone, and this is what they need. I've given them the information that I can give them because obviously they can read off what's on the MLS, but they can't go into any further details. She tries to build as much as work as possible.
1: These two assistants and you—you're you, doing a, a lot of volume for a small group. How many hours a week are your assistants working?
0: Forty. Forty a piece. So
1: they're doing a a normal work week of Monday through Friday, eight hours a day? Yes. And then you're filling in the gaps in the evenings and the weekends. Correct. Are they both on a a salary or hourly or do they get bonuses? How are they compensated?
0: They are on hourly and they get bonuses as well.
1: And is the bonus a, a flat amount then per closing or how does the bonus work?
0: Uh, it just depends on the workload and, you know, how efficient everybody is and, you know, whether it's part of a team.
1: Do you do like a percentage of the revenues that you you put aside no. for a, a profit sharing or is it just kind of random? It, it's just when you, you you see them doing extra work, you, you give them a bonus. How does it work?
0: Yeah, just kind of when you see it, you know, you kind of toss it out every now and then. But we do have a profit sharing plan as well.
1: Are you profitable?
0: I definitely believe so.
1: (laughs) Very good. Would you mind disclosing to us what your your net profit margin is? You talking before or after taxes? Let's do before. Probably sixty percent. Amanda, I gotta ask, what drives you?
0: Money. (laughs) (laughs) Um just success in general. I don't mind working hard for the things that I would like to have in life. And my husband and I were just able to buy our dream home that we've been trying to buy for three years. So working hard to achieve those kind of goals is um, pretty easy.
1: You're driven for success. Where does that come from? Did you start with a lot of success? Did, did you want success? What, what drives you beyond this, this final goal? Why do you want to get there?
0: I don't know if I, I, I've not figured that out. I don't know if I'm trying to prove something to myself or what it actually is. Um, it's just kind of evolved.
1: You mentioned you just purchased your dream home. It sounds like you're pretty excited about that. What's special about the, the dream home? What, what were you, you said it took you three years to go after that goal? Could you tell us a little bit about the home?
0: Yeah. um, It's um, basically an estate. It's a house built in 1863, and it is on 143 acres. My husband has horses, so it's got a 20-horse stall barn. Just everything that we've uh, always wanted.
1: Amanda, why have you been so successful?
0: Because I don't mind working.
1: (laughs) That is the truth.
0: Well, I mean, there's a lot of agents out there. I mean, I take a look at teams, you know, and what some of the teams are doing. And last year I ran some numbers on some teams and there's a team in a a nearby city and they're a team of 10 and they did 150 transactions. Well, that means that each person did 15 transactions. That means they're not working, you know. And so in order for me to do a team, somebody would have to be willing to work as much as, well, almost as much as I'm willing to work. But 15 transactions a year is not very much. You know, but there's a lot of people out there that form a team so that they can sit back and have other people work and make money off them. So it's more like a pyramid kind of thing. And there's a franchise that came to talk to me a couple of years ago about joining their company. And that's kind of, I think, when the light went off. You know, I have an office not so that I can recruit a bunch of agents and sit back and make money off of them. I have an office so that I have a place to work. And if you want to work here, then I'm happy to share that experience with you. But that's not why I do what I do. Amanda, where do you see
1: your business going in the future? The next five to ten years, do you see yourself continuing at this pace and continuing to close three hundred transactions a year? Where do you see it in the future?
0: Ten years is a little too far out for me to even think about. Um, You know, I'm I'm willing to work this hard for about five more years, and not that at that point I would retire by any means. But I think at that point you know, might look at different opportunities or different ways to structure the business. But right now, my plan is to work this hard for five more years.
1: Do you have an ultimate goal? Are you trying to achieve? It sounds like you achieved a big goal with the house. Do you have other goals that you're looking to achieve?
0: Just to get out of debt.
1: Okay, so so maybe pay off that house completely, those kind of things? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Amanda, if you are going to advise a brand-new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first?
0: Be prepared to work for free. Um, It is a lot of, what I say politics, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies. You know, if there's a fair in town, have a booth. If there's a charitable organization, be a part of it. Um, You know, instead of going through the drive-thru, go inside, wear your name tag. Um, not everything that you have to do is going to cost you money, but it is like being politics. You have to be able and willing to ask for the business, um, but you also have to prove to people that you're a hard worker and that you're willing to work. Unfortunately, in the real estate business, you know nobody cares if you're sick. They don't care if you need a day off. They don't care if you're going on vacation. They just want to make sure that they're taken care of while you're doing the things that you need to do. So, a lot of times, you know, we'll get phone calls. Well, my agent's out of town. Can you do this or can you do that? Well, sure. If it's an agent from my company, I'm more than happy to help. But if your agent works for another company, then they should have somebody taking care of their business while they're gone. You know, people don't just shut the doors when, you know, the CEO of McDonald's needs a vacation. You know, things continue and go on. And I think you have to treat it as a real business. You have to set hours. You have to be able and willing to work.
1: You know, it sounds to me through our conversation today that you say it as it is. You don't hold punches back. You you tell people what I you don't. think. I don't <laughs> hold back at all. Well, and people respect that about you. You're gonna tell them a straight, honest answer.
0: I think so. I really think so.
1: Amanda, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable?
0: I do. I think everybody has a different perspective. Uh, It may not always be something that you agree with, but it allows you to evaluate what you're doing and possibly make some changes that may better your business. Um, And you can see what works for other people and what doesn't work for other people.
1: Well, Amanda, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners?
0: If you're passionate about it, do it. Um, it's not easy money and you have to be sympathetic with your clients. You know, a lot of times there's going to be situations that are going to tug at your heartstrings and it may be that you're not going to make as much money as you would normally, but this is a job that doesn't need to be just about the money. It needs to be about the relationships that you're forming as well.
1: Well, Amanda, you are passionate about real estate. You may be the most productive solo agent in America. You're willing to work 100 hours per week to meet the goals of your clients as you advise them on their best options. You have an efficient, direct, A-type personality, yet you are also compassionate, caring, and protective. You go the extra mile for your clients, and it shows. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold over 4,000 homes in his career and is a billion dollar agent all in a resort second home community find out who he is on the next success call if you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out click the subscribe button on itunes or stitcher and if you want to hear more episodes like this give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment